You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning, 10 o'clock. You can be seated. We are in a series called Mountaintops. There is a grand, overarching war that's being waged. It is a war between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. It's a war between good and evil, darkness and light. And we see it all throughout Scripture. And if you're paying any attention at all in the world today, it's being waged throughout our cultures as well. There's also a very specific personal way that this battle is, is being fought, in fact, being fought right now in your life. It was fought yesterday, it's being fought right now, it'll be fought this afternoon, it'll be fought this week. A very personal battle, a very real battle that all of us in this house certainly understand. So you have this, this grand cosmic battle going on, but also this very personal, specific battle going on in our lives. The, the battle is this, it's the battle of temptation. We're always being tempted in our lives to choose sin over righteousness. But sometimes in the busyness of our lives, in the fast-paced way in which we live our lives, we often don't even see or realize that we're right in the middle of a very real, personal, specific battle of temptation. And all of us in this house and all watching online, we're all tempted. The most spiritually mature person in this room, and it's not me, is tempted. There's always this battle going on and we're we're being tempted by very vile, evil, dark things. We're tempted to be prideful. I'm never wrong. We're tempted to be materialistic. I never have enough things. We're tempted to to be worried. I never can truly, fully trust God. We're tempted to be jealous. I never get what I want. We're tempted to be sexually unfaithful. I never really trusted God's design. We're tempted to be a gossip. I never want to be left out. We're tempted to be drunk or high. I never want to fully feel my feelings. We're tempted to be selfish. I never want to be without. And we're tempted to be unforgiving toward others. I never want them to get away with what they did. Note takers, the only refuge from temptation is the grave. Whatever temptation you faced this past weekend, You'll also face that temptation today, this afternoon, maybe even right now in the middle of a sermon. You'll have that same temptation tomorrow, same temptation this week. We will all face temptations in this life as followers of Christ until we see Christ face to face. But let me be very clear with you. Temptation is not bad. Here's a working definition today. Temptation is simply a decision point. It is a point in time, you had it yesterday, maybe many yesterday, you'll have many this afternoon, many this week, a point in time when a decision 
will have to be made. You'll make a decision. And often by not making that decision, you are making that decision. The decision will either be, I'm gonna look more like Christ or I'm gonna move further away from intimacy with Christ. That's really the balancing point of temptation. Here's the question when it comes to temptation, this decision point, will I honor my flesh or will I honor my God? You see, temptation is just this opportunity that you and I have to step into honoring the flesh, honoring ourself, honoring what we want, or it's that opportunity, that tipping point where we can step into honoring God, exalting God over exalting ourselves. And if you want to know how to handle temptation, if we're gonna learn how to handle temptation, we need to look to Jesus and learn from Jesus. He is the only one who is able to know and feel temptation, to have temptation, and yet he never chose poorly. He never let it kindle into lust. He never let it become sin. Jesus knows how to handle every temptation, every category of temptation that you and I will face today, this week, Jesus has already been there. So with your copy of God's word, would you turn with me please to the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll go to the fourth chapter together today to see this mountaintop situation. Matthew chapter four, this will be the chapter that we're in for the remainder of the morning, so I encourage you to turn there, put your marker there, put your ribbon there. Hold your place there on your phone, Matthew chapter four. We'll begin the very beginning of that, of that chapter. So hoping you're there, Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then, let's stop there. We didn't get very far, did we? What, what happened before the then? Uh, go back one chapter, just look at Matthew chapter three, look at verse 16 and verse 17. It's not on the screen, it is in your Bible. Look at the last two verses of Matthew chapter three. And when Jesus was baptized, here it is, baptizo, he was sunk under the water. Immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and, and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this was God the Father, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased then. Remember when Matthew was writing this, he did not say stop Chapter four, verse one. This was all from the spirit of the Lord. He was writing these things down. And so the very end of verse 17 leads right into the very beginning of chapter four, verse one. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased then. So let's pick it up this time. We'll get a little farther in the passage. Matthew chapter four, verses one through the beginning of three. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, we'll stop again right there. This is a great spiritual principle happening in these few verses. It is often immediately after the spiritual high points of our life. Christ has been baptized. The spirit of the living God has fallen on him. His Father in heaven said, I am pleased in him. This is a spiritual high point in the life of Jesus. It's often at those spiritual high points that the enemy loves to come in. Satan loves to come with the greatest attacks. The biblical mooring for that would be 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he what? Fall. 
Note takers, when we feel untouchable, we become the most vulnerable. When we think we're above temptation or we're above sin or we're way too churched to do something like that or we're way too spiritually mature to ever fall into that sin, when we think that we're untouchable spiritually, that is when we become the most vulnerable. I've heard a pastor say with my own ears that he can't sin. Yeah, that's a horrible place to be. To think that he's above sin, that we're above sin, that we're above falling into temptation and choosing poorly. If we feel like we're untouchable spiritually, we become the most vulnerable. There's a billion things I love about Mark Weibel, our associate pastor, and you probably have a billion more. One of my favorite things that Pastor Mark does all the time, says all the time to the staff, especially after we've had a great Sunday or, or, or a great event or a large new member class or dozens and dozens of, dozens of people lined up for intro Sunday or even after the centennial a few weeks ago, Mark always loves to sit the staff down and tell us in a meeting, staff, watch out. This will be the opportune time for the enemy to come in with a, ask any staff member what he does at this point. He goes with the hook. He always sticks his finger out like this. We, we love the predictability of Mark Weibel. He's, he's faithful. He's steadfast. He'll say, the enemy's going to come in and do a hook. What is that? That's, that's wise Mark Weibel reminding us. If we feel like we're untouchable as a staff or spiritually untouchable as a church, or everything is always going so well for us, that is right where the enemy wants us. We need to take heed. If we think we're standing and standing strong, we're about to fall. Untouchable. If we feel that way, we're actually the most vulnerable. Look at the first temptation by Satan, and the first resistance by Jesus as well. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Let's pick up verse 3 again. And the tempter came and said to him, said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now remember, he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and the spirit of the Lord already told Matthew to write down he was hungry. But he, Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you notice the very first word that Satan uses? <laughs> in all the New Testament, is the word if. If. The, the doubt is already being planted. If. It's always there. The enemy tempted Eve with, with doubt. The enemy tempts Christ with, with doubt. He tempts us with doubt. The enemy always loves to come in and begin by, by creating doubt about the goodness of God, doubt about the character of, of God, doubt about the sovereignty of God. And the point of this temptation right here, I, I think it was not just about feeding Jesus's hunger because there's nothing wrong with eating. Amen, at 10.30 on a Sunday morning, there's nothing wrong with eating. But the suggestion here is that God had forgotten about his son. The temptation right here that the enemy is trying to push into the heart and the mind and the ears of Jesus is that in his hunger, God has forgotten about you. Can you be the son of God and hungry? In other words, Satan was saying here, second guess the father. God's not fulfilling his part of the deal. It's an urging on Satan's part to Jesus to forget God's promises to him. It was a temptation 
for Jesus to try to exercise some doubt in God. Why are you hungry? You're the son of God. Well, if you're the son of God, you shouldn't be hungry. Make these stones turn into bread so that you can have food. You're, you're the son of God, and yet God is not meeting your needs. And if God won't meet your need, Jesus, you just meet your need yourself. Wait a minute, you, you were born in a stable. Are you sure you're the son of God? Hurried out of Egypt so you didn't have to face the wrath of Herod, and you're the son of God? A carpenter supplied a roof over your head in the despicable town of Nazareth, and you're the son of God. You spent 30 years in obscurity. Is that fitting for the son of God? And now, if you're the son of God, you're, you're hungry? The first temptation is that you deserve more than what God has given you. And that's the temptation that everyone in this house feels consistently. God, thank you for what you've given me, but I feel like I deserve more. The first temptation is you deserve more than what God has given you. And in a nation today that is ruled by marketing and social media and the prosperity gospel, we fall right into that. But look here how Jesus pushes back. And in doing so, Jesus is going to serve as an example to us. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. But he, Jesus, answered, I love this, it is written. So Jesus is going to go back to God's word. And here's what it says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And this is where Moses is reminding Israel of God's tender care for them, tender care for his people during the wilderness journeys. Moses was telling God's people back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, don't mistrust God. He will supply us. He will provide for us. He will take care for us. Moses was saying when he said this originally in Deuteronomy, live by God's word and God will honor our obedience and he'll take care of our needs. That's what Jesus was saying right here. Listen, here's what Jesus was saying. We are better off to obey the word of God than to grab or chase after what we think we deserve. I'm going to say that again. That was a great opportunity for you to say amen. So are you ready this time? I'm going to say it one more time. Just get it inside of you. Listen, this is what Jesus was saying. We are better off to obey the word of God than to grab or chase after what we think we deserve. Amen. I knew you wanted to say it. Listen, Highland. The, the governing motive of our lives is to do the will of God and then trust him for all of his benefits. For the life of a Christian, the life of one who has said, I, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to trust Jesus, I am in Christ. The governing motive for our life is we're going to obey what God says and then just trust him for all of his benefits. Want to hear that another way? Go over two pages to the right to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. You probably already know it. If you don't know it, I bet you can sing it. Go over to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things all the benefits will be added to you the governing motive of our lives is to do the will of God and then believe him for all of his benefits 
All right, back to Matthew chapter four. Satan is crafty and he's gonna move on to a second temptation now. So he has said now, okay, so you're gonna, you're gonna trust God, then prove it. Matthew chapter four, verses five through six. Then the devil took him, took Jesus to the holy city, to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, which is probably the, the royal portico. There, there's a straight drop off from there into the Kidron Valley of about 450 feet. And the enemy said to him, Satan said to Jesus, if, there it is again, sowing doubt, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Secondly, the second temptation is to live recklessly, unwisely, and selfishly. Isn't it interesting that Satan actually quotes scripture out of Psalm, I think it's 91, to convince Jesus to jump. By the way, no surprise, he does not quote it accurately. You can go back and see actually what the psalmist said, and there are some words missing. In fact, a very key phrase about being on guard that the enemy definitely left out of that, of that quoting of, of the passage. And so the enemy comes to him and, and says and tempts Jesus, just live recklessly, just live unwisely. He wants you to live with, with yourself as the center and then expect God to bail you out. It's to live without aim, it's to live without purpose. It was really putting God to the test of a very self-centered test. And you can tell that's exactly what's happening by the way that Jesus responds. Look at verse seven. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, so Jesus is going to go back to Old Testament scripture and use it accurately. He's going to handle the word accurately. And he, will, he says here, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus knew that this was, was a reckless test, an unwise test, a, a selfish test. And let's just, let's be very honest. Let's take off our church masks for a second. There are many Christians in our city, maybe many Christians in this room today. This is exactly how we live life. We live life unwisely, recklessly. We're self-centered. We kind of do our own thing. And then when we get in trouble, we want God to bail us out. We want God to, to tell us how to get out of this mess that we've made for ourselves. And scripturally, this was a temptation of the enemy to Jesus to live unwisely. And you and I live in that temptation every day just to, to live for ourselves, to live for the moment, to live for the pleasure, to live recklessly and self-centeredly. And now the devil plays all of his cards here and he stakes everything on this last and final desperate attempt to achieve his goal of Jesus entering into sin. The third temptation, we pick it up in verse eight, Matthew chapter four, verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. So this is our mountaintops. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. And he said to Jesus, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So they go, Jesus and Satan go to this exceedingly high mountain. And Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory inside of those kingdoms as well. Perhaps they saw Egypt with its pyramids and all of its treasure. Maybe they saw Greece and, and, and Corinth and in Athens with all their splendor. Maybe they were able to see into the Han Empire in China with all the, the beautiful pearls and tapestries and wealth to look north into the, the Persian Empire with all this military might. 
maybe to look into Rome, the Roman Empire over in Italy and in all the power there. I don't know how far they were able to see, and I don't know what miraculous accommodation was provided so that they could see all the kingdoms of the world, but they saw them. And Satan says to Jesus, all of these I will give to you. The third temptation, and we feel this every day, is to make your own name great. I'll wrap it up parenthetically, self-glory. The third temptation that Satan tempted Jesus with, that we're tempted with ourselves, is to make our name great. So see what was happening here? Jesus is taken to a very high mountain, given a very high vision of all the kingdoms of, of the world and all their splendor. And you might be thinking right now, and it'd be okay for you to think this, doesn't Jesus know that eventually he's gonna have all these kingdoms? He does. But he also knows the road ahead. The path that's gonna lead Jesus to having that authority of all the kingdoms of the world is a path filled with sorrow, suffering, and ultimately a violent death on the cross. So certainly, this is a very real temptation for Jesus to have all the kingdoms of the world apart from his painful death to have all the people and all the kingdoms of the world apart from the cross? You're the son, the devil says. Why are you a servant also? If you're the king, why are you gonna be crucified? Take all of these things now. They're yours for the taking. And it's the same thing the enemy will whisper in our ears this week. Look at all the things of this world. Take some of it. Look at all the accomplishments of the world, all the things, all the stuff, all the pleasure, all the pursuits, all the possessions. They're yours, the enemy would say. Take them. Live. Isn't this what he said to, to Eve? Eat from this and live. You'll be just like God. You'll take on everything that God has. You can have also. And they believed him. Adam and Eve believed the enemy. And in their believing, they ascribed more worship to the enemy than they ascribed worship to God. They ascribed more worship to themselves. And it's the same thing that we we're tempted to do, to make our names great in the world while we rob God of his worship. So instead of this life that you and I have been called to live as followers of Christ, a trusting life, a humble life, a difficult obedience life. Let's, again, be very honest with one another. If we're gonna follow Jesus, it is going to be difficult obedience. But that obedience is to God in this world. But sometimes in our pride, we say, no, I'm gonna get what I want in my way. I wanna do it this way. My plans, my pleasures, my pursuits, my possessions. It's pride, and that's the root of all of our rebellion. You know, the core of sin really is, is a taking a dethroning of God who alone is worthy of our worship and then replacing him with somebody or something or ourselves, something that we think ultimately will make us more worthy. Jesus' response in Matthew chapter four, verse 10, he came to the end. Then Jesus said to the enemy, be gone, Satan. For it is written, he goes back to the word of God, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. 
So, so Jesus refused to exchange this, this exaltation now by, by, by the enemy for a later exaltation by, by the Father. Jesus knows the supreme duty of every follower of Christ is to worship the Lord and to worship the Lord alone. And he knew that everyone who humbles himself before the Lord would be exalted. And so Jesus chose to live this life of suffering obedience to the Father instead of sinful submission to the serpent. And in the end, remember the rest of the story, all authority in heaven and earth will be given to Jesus. We face these battles every day, Highland. Today you'll face it the rest of this week. You'll face it the rest of our lives. We'll face these temptations toward feeling like we, we deserve more than God's given us. We'll be tempted to, to live selfishly, tempted to make our names great. And we will face those battles of temptation until that day, the day of Christ. Matthew chapter four, verse 11, then the devil left him because Jesus said, go. And behold, angels came and were ministering to Jesus. Why would angels need to come and minister to Jesus? Because he had just fought the temptation. He had fought the temptation. That's a reminder to everyone in this house. If Jesus had to fight in temptation, you and I are going to have to fight in temptation. These are temptations that come to Jesus and he pushes back the darkness with the light of the word. Jesus knew the word and, and wields the sword of the word to make wise God-honoring choices in the middle of temptation. That's why you and I need to follow the footsteps of Jesus when it comes to the fight of temptation. Know God's word. Some of you are losing because you're fighting a spiritual battle with physical weapons. You fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. But there's something else going on here. There's a higher story, an upper story, if you'll let me close with this. There are two unbelievably pivotal points in the life of Jesus before the cross. Two pivot points. The, the first one is right here in Matthew chapter four. The other one was gonna happen later on in, in his life, in the story, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is gonna have to wrestle inwardly with the desire not to go to the cross. You remember this passage where Jesus says, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, in other words, is there any other way to redeem mankind? Is there any other way to, to save people? But Father, not, not my will be done, but your will be done. That was the temptation and that was his choice in that battle was to choose God's will, to choose God's way. So this Matthew passage here, Matthew chapter four, doesn't just show you and I, show us how to be victorious in temptation. On a higher level, in the upper story, if you will, it demonstrates that Jesus Christ is the king. He is the ultimate king. He is the glorious king. He is the king over every other king because scripture shows us right here, he has the ability to resist the temptation of the other dominion. The only other strong ruler in the universe, Satan himself. So if Satan is defeated by Christ here, then Jesus is established as the king over every other king, the ultimate monarch, the great ruler, the ultimate Lord, the supreme one. And that's Matthew's point. Matthew is consistently bringing before us that Jesus Christ is the king. So here is Jesus in conflict with the other great monarch of the universe, and Jesus defeats him. 
So we realize afresh this morning here at Highland that Jesus has control over the enemy, that Satan is nothing but a subject to Christ's power and authority. The temptation of Christ proves the deity of Christ. This temptation affirms that our Jesus is the king. So this victory we see here is not just a victory for Jesus. Oh, it was, but it's also our victory as well. For if Jesus had given in to temptation here in Matthew chapter 4 and had sinned, there would no longer be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Had Jesus chosen sin here in Matthew chapter 4, he would no longer be qualified to die for our sins. Here's what I'm trying to say. The Savior you and I needed had to be a sinless Savior. So if Jesus sins in this temptation, not only does he fall short of the glory of God, but he also falls short of perfection, which means he falls short of sinlessness, which means he falls short of being the only one who could die in our place on the cross. Had Jesus taken this deal with Satan, our sins would have been paid, our sins would not have been paid for. And as the one and only Son of God, who else could the Father have sent? to die in our place. I, I have missed this for 53 years until this past weekend. Matthew chapter four is an unbelievably important narrative in our redemption. If even one of these temptations Jesus would have fallen for, he would have sinned, there would no longer be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Highland. This should stir our affections for Jesus today. This should cause a welling up of gratitude in our hearts today that Jesus overcame. He said yes to righteousness so that you and I could live in the righteousness of Christ. He was victorious so that you and I could live in victory. He overcame so that you and I could overcome in him. That's the upper story. Had Matthew chapter four ended with Jesus giving in just to one temptation, you and I would die in our sins. Would you stand with me, please? And let's worship this victorious king. And let's praise him that he overcame the temptations so that you and I could live a life of overcoming. Perhaps during this next song, you'd want to come down and just kneel before the Lord and, and thank Jesus from a posture of humility, a posture of being on your knees before him. Thank you, Jesus, that you overcame so that I could be an overcomer. Thank you, Jesus, that you are victorious so I can be victorious in you. We'll also have some staff members here at the front. We'd love to pray with you today. If there's a way we can pray for you, pray for your family, pray for your heart, pray for temptations that you find yourself in. Let's worship this King. He overcame so that you and I, by the word of our testimony and his blood, could become overcomers ourselves. Come and kneel before this king. Come and pray with others who would love to pray with you. Won't you sing? Won't you please come?